Chapter 8 The sisters were in a fury of activity preparing for the first Sunday in the new building. They sent out invitations and argued over what songs they'd sing and fussed about the order of the service, and even made sure a reporter from the Georgia Gazette would be in attendance. The town council decided to name the new building the Jerusalem Lutheran Church, and the naming lent it a certain weight that it lacked when it had been a simple chapel. As word spread that the Reverend Whitfield would speak on the day of the dedication, people began to arrive from hill and vale all across Georgia. For a week prior to the ceremony, Finn and Bartimaeus worked night and day to ensure they had enough food to feed the multitude. Two days before the big event, Sister Carmeline received ghastly news. Reverend Whitfield had died. On the very day he was to set out for Georgia, he had been called home, as Carmeline would say. She was a wreck trying to think of how to break it to the crowds and was certain she'd be lynched when the news broke. Bartimaeus hadn't taken it well either. When he heard, he walked out of the dining hall and the sounds of fiddle play floated up from the river for the rest of the afternoon. The night before the ceremony, Sister Carmeline was in a terrible state at the dinner table. Land of Goshen, what will we do? There will be a riot, she worried. She didn't need a bite. She sat and patted her chest and rocked back and forth and prayed for help. Midway through the meal, a rapping at the door quieted the room, and Hilda answered. A handsome, white-haired gentleman strode into the dining hall, removed his hat, and bowed. I should be delighted to speak with Sister Carmeline Babb, said the gentleman. Carmeline fanned her face and patted her heart and bade him leave her be. Hilda rolled her eyes. How may we help you, sir? Ma'am, if you will permit it, I would speak in the Reverend Whitfield's stead. Carmeline ceased her hysterics and eyed him up and down in bafflement. "'Well, a stranger off the streets will never do,' said Hilda rather shrewdly. "'Are you even a preacher?' "'Yes, ma'am. I'm afraid I am,' said the gentleman. Carmeline resumed patting her chest and rocking back and forth and raised one hand to her forehead and warned the gentleman of her worries. "'The crowd will riot, I fear, when they find they've come all this way for a common preacher instead of the reverend himself.' She paused herself again and turned to look at the gentleman. What did you say your name was, sir? John Wesley, ma'am. Sister Carmeline fainted. If the sisters held George Whitfield to be the greatest Christian of the age, then second place surely went to Reverend John Wesley. Though the Reverends Wesley and Whitfield had virulently disagreed on more than one point of faith, they accounted each other friendly rivals. Sister Carmeline suspected that were these two pillars of Protestantism ever thrust into the same space that blows might come of it, but Reverend Whitfield's passing had rendered the thought moot, and she was elated that the Reverend Wesley had arrived to rescue her from certain lynching. Early the next morning, Finn was once again made to put on a dress. She scowled about the courtyard, muttering curses and looking awkward until she spotted Peter dressed in a suit and preening like a rooster. Though Finn thought he seemed gentlemanly and more handsome than any man in town, she rolled her eyes up and told him immediately that he looked preposterous. Well, you're one to talk. Peter chuckled as he eyed her dress and bonnet. Finn threw him a sarcastic smirk, took a deep breath, and calmed her urge to rip the bonnet off her head and feed it to him. They walked out the gates and up to the steps of the new church. There was a wooden scaffold erected to the right of the door that reached as high as the steeple atop the tower. Finn wondered why they hadn't taken it down for the opening day, but when she asked Peter, he just shrugged and led her through the doorway. The brick exterior opened up into a shining white sanctuary. Towering windows pierced the walls, and the space between them was a canyon of light filled with carved oaken pews. The ceiling seemed as high as the sky to Finn. She'd never been in anything of such size before. 
The centerpiece of the great room was the organ and its brass pipes climbing from the floor at the center of the dais to the ceiling high above. Finn looked around in awe. It's beautiful, Peter. The crowd streamed in and packed every corner until an usher announced the room full and they opened the windows to let the people outside lean in to see what they could. Mr. Bolzius stepped to the pulpit and led the congregation in an invocation. Then Peter stood and walked to the front where Mr. Hickory and the other boys of the work crew joined him. I wish to recognize the men without whom this building would not have been accomplished. Mr. Bolzius motioned to Mr. Hickory and his workers. The young men on the dais bore little resemblance to the boys Carmeline and Hilda had chosen a year and a half before. They stood taller, and their shoulders filled the coats that once had swallowed them. Applause erupted. Mr. Hickory took a deep bow, and Mr. Bolzius continued, Gentlemen, we are in your debt. May the beauty of your hand be a pleasure in the eye of the Lord. The organ bellowed as men returned to their seats, and Mr. Bolzius led the congregation in song. The people, both outside and in, sang together and for miles around music filled the forests and fields. When the singing ended, Mr. Bolzius introduced Reverend Wesley. He took the stage amid a murmur of questions and stepped to the lectern. What many of you have heard is truth. Our brother, Reverend Whitfield, walks with God this morning. I pray you will grant me leave to speak in his stead this Sunday bright. Nods of assent crossed the room and courtyard, and the Reverend commenced his dedication. Many years ago, as he was led to the stake, John Huss proclaimed, You burn a goose, but in a hundred years will come a swan whose voice you will not be able to still. I say that today a swan is born. Today, out of dirt and mud, out of brick and tar, there rises a beacon that shines in the wilderness. Let no man still the voice that here is given cry, and let no man throw down that which the Lord builds up. A mighty fortress is my God, which no man on earth may assail. Amen. Peter rose and walked out of the building, leaving Finn to wonder where he'd gone. While Mr. Hickory went to the left of the dais and stood beside an object cloaked under a sheet, the Reverend continued, By labor of fire and forge, we find here that which is given to surmount the steeple and proclaim our purpose to far eyes lifted. He motioned to Mr. Hickory, who withdrew the sheet and revealed a large white swan atop a glimmering pike. Behold, the swan that rises. The congregation clapped an amen. We shall remove ourselves to the courtyard to view the final crowning. The crowd bustled out the doors, and Finn was swept along with them, wondering where in the world Peter had got to. She looked up and saw a rope hung from a series of pulleys and beams stretching out to the steeple from the scaffold. Danny and Hans carried out the swan and tied the rope fast about it. Then Lachlan and Tom hauled on the rope and the swan rose above the crowd. As the swan ascended, the crowd's eyes followed it in silence. Finn spotted Peter atop the steeple. He leaned out, took hold of the pike, and maneuvered it into the socket at the pinnacle. The assembly slid into place with a victorious clang, and the crowd erupted in applause. As Peter made his way down, a wagon trundled into the courtyard, and Sister Carmeline hurried over in a fury to shoo away the culprit of such inconsideration. She launched into a sound berating. The wagon driver patiently ignored her and handed her a letter. Carmeline tore it open and read it, then hurried to Reverend Wesley and thrust it into his hand. Peter made it back to the ground and joined Finn with a questioning look. What's going on? Finn shrugged. I don't know. Reverend Wesley read the letter under his breath and his eyes widened. When he finished, he called the crowd to attention. 
It pleases me to read to you this letter sent from Mr. Jonathan Hickleby of New Hampshire. He began reading in a loud voice. Dear sirs, it is with my sincerest condolences that I greet you. You will no doubt have learned by now, through quicker means, of our brother, Reverend Whitfield's recent translation into glory. It was in my house he spent his final hours, and until the very end he was determined to honor his engagement with you for the dedication of your new church building. When at length he spied God's plans were otherwise, he bid me see this final cargo delivered thence. May this bell crown your tower, and call all Christian men to worship with its toll. The wagon driver flung the cover from his cargo and revealed a newly founded bell gleaming bright in the morning sun. It seems Reverend Whitfield has the final word of the morning, said Reverend Wesley, and then, too low for most to hear, almost a whisper, Well done, old friend. Sister Hilda beamed like Finn had never imagined possible, while Sister Carmeline sat down heavily on a bench and fanned her face lest she swoon. Peter ran to the wagon to join Mr. Hickory and the rest of the building crew. They placed lifting timbers below the bell and called for help to raise her up. Men from the crowd ran to their aid, and together they carried the bell to the scaffold and tied ropes fast about it. Ten men it took to hoist her up. The crowd watched with glee as it found its mark and men aloft swung her into place. The sounds of rapping hammers echoed out of the tower as the bell was secured in its housing. Then Danny Schumann jumped up, grabbed the tolling rope, and pulled down with all his might. The sharp peal rang clear, and people below shouted and cheered. Again and again, Danny pulled the rope. No slow, mournful toll for those in death, but a victory chime for life renewed. <laughs>